Thank you for joining me for a special midweek episode, which is the continuation of my conversation with Mindy. Mindy is writing a book, a book about her mother's murder in Washington state. And she's been doing quite a bit of research around it. The story is incredibly intriguing. It's incredibly tragic at the same time. And I hope that you will take that into account as you listen today. If any of that is a trigger for you, I would advise you not to finish listening. But for those of you who will listen, I want you to really listen closely to her talking about the murder of her mother and the murder of other women. And Washington state has, unfortunately, a history of serial killers and women victims. And I was just so intrigued by all of Mindy's work that she's been doing to make this book become a reality to tell her mother's story. I hope that you will send Mindy a little extra love after you listen to this particular piece of the episode today. She's doing well in life, but it never hurts to get a little extra love, especially when you lose your mother. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy. So what are you writing your book about? Can you can you tell? Yes. Oh, yes. And I made a decision that tonight would be the first time I even talk about the title. Okay. I think I have to trademark it. I don't know. I'm not business minded, but I'm I'm really feeling like I better do that soon because it's such an important part of the book. So in 2001, my mom was murdered and you might've actually heard about it because it was all over the news. There's article after article in 2001. Do you remember at all hearing about Michael Bray, a serial killer? Michael in Seattle? Well, it wasn't Seattle, but the Seattle news definitely okay. put it out, but she lived in Lacey and uh she was killed by somebody the name sounds familiar but i i can't well he's labeled a serial killer and there's still women missing yeah you know what i'm gonna do i have holy shit i know well this whole time i have worked through it i mean there's so many elements to it i had an 11 year old sister and custody and all kinds of stuff and i was so young when it happened i mean young adult how how old were you 25. yeah And then my sister was 11, so I flew there and it's a whirlwind, but all this time went by and I had a very much suck it up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps after I fell apart, you know. How old was your mother at the time? 44. Okay. My sister who now is finally going through therapy and all kinds of stuff. What I did is I taught her to do that too, but really it was, it was not good. And, and so that's besides the point, but the book is, I think what makes it really unique is it's going to have the murder mystery part. I mean, I go into detail about a lot of things and about what took place, but, but the really cool part is all this time passed. And in 2016, December, 2016, I started a blog and I really didn't even know why I'm like, I don't even know what the hell a blog is like, but people said I should have one. So I spent like a bunch of money and got a blog. I'm like, and it hit me one day I was doing the dishes and I thought, okay, I'm going to write about my mom. That's what I'm going to do. It, I just, I knew it. I put out a Facebook video. I, I knew in my heart I was doing it. A month later, my sister calls me and says, Hey, Mindy, um, Discovery ID, you know, ID channel. Yeah. Called her and, and they, they're going to do a show about mom. And I said, what? 
I even in my video, I mean, I knew when I get a vision, it's clear. And I said, probably in February, I'll be flying to Seattle. I'm going to meet up with Detective Ryan Holt, who you know handled the case. I mean, I really had this timeline and vision. They called her and said, we'd like to meet with you. We've launched a new TV show called Shattered. And we want your mom and your girl's case to be one of the episodes. We're probably going to fly there in February to talk to the detective. So I thought, no shit. Like somebody... Somebody is stealing my idea and it's not their, their story. And I was up in arms. Well, it was, it was discovery ID and we did the filming mm -hmm. in that process. I revisited things that I never even knew because I had such tunnel vision. Then all I knew was save my sister, get custody of my sister, bury my mom. What do I do with her stuff? How do I have a funeral? What am I going to do? Uh, I mean, just, it goes on. I didn't know. I didn't even, I didn't even care about anything happening on the outside. Right. And then here we are, we meet with, we meet with the producers, we film the show, we sit with Bev Reinhold for hours and hours and hours. And I realized so much that I never knew. So many women who have either been how raped many, or murdered or left How many for women do they think that he murdered? Well, there's, there are three still missing, uh -huh. never been found. There's one that he shot in the head and left for dead. Oh. It is, wait, I mean, it is absolutely bizarre how lucky he was time after time after time. And I'm going to read you this little part, okay, to give you an idea. Sure. The title of the book is called She Had a Name, and here's why. So I'll just read you this portion. 17 years later, we met again in the lobby of the Lacey Police Department. I had not seen Bev since the trial. Bev is the detective. Mm -hmm. It felt like a reunion of a long lost best friend. I'd grown love for her and admiration. I believe it was now that I could fully understand what position she played in my life. This time, my mind was clear and I wasn't gasping for air while dragging myself through an underground tunnel of mud. We hugged and admired the growth and changes in each other, and she admittedly shared her joy in following us on social media all these years. From afar, without ever letting us know, she was our champion guarding us and ensuring we were okay. She brought us to a conference room where boxes of files stood ready for viewing, and a screen was pulled down with a projector ready to reveal answers to our questions. And mind you, this is 17 years later, after right. the murder. Mm -hmm. We began by catching up and filling each other in on current events. We discussed our opinion of what the show would lead to and how it may affect us. And I was surprised how vivid her memory of the entire case was. Maybe because it was her job and she wasn't the one hurting and desolate. So curiously, I asked her, why did you seem to care so much about my mom and this case and us? And more than fulfilling the requirements of your role as a detective, you somehow miraculously made us feel like family and we were all that mattered. Her reply only drew a stronger line between us. And she stated, when I walked into your mom's apartment, I saw a clean, well-kept home. She was a proud single mother doing her best. And all I could think of was this could have been me. So let that sink in. The detective who solved my mom's case and brought a fugitive to justice and said that she could relate to my mom. My mom was special and worthy of a long healthy life. We proceeded to dive into all the details of the case and the two topics that generated my interest the most to understand more were the other women he's hurt. And there are many and details regarding what really happened that night. He took my mom's life because he never admitted to it. I had no idea the extent of his damage and all the women who he's destroyed one way or another. This woman, he raped that woman. He raped these three women that were last seen with him and have never been found the woman. He shot and pushed out of his truck into a ditch near a peach orchard and more. But one victim's story left me in disbelief. Her situation is tragic on so many levels and yet she survived. Her and her sister had went to a bar one night and she tells police that they spotted Bray and she thought he was attractive, but he kept his eye on her sister. She said, she's the pretty one and he liked her, but my sister didn't give two shits about him. 
They left the bar and went home. Then there was a knock on the door. She opened it and it was the guy from the bar and she was excited. He came for her. Now, before I go further, do you see some problems here? First, she views her sister as the pretty one, which paints, yeah, which paints the picture of her self-esteem and most likely the lifelong shadow she's lived in. But secondly, this man appeared at her door. She never invited him over, nor did she tell them where she lived. And and never questioned how he showed up at her door. Okay, well, get this. A woman in her right mind with at least any small measure of self-worth would have been terrified, right? Yes. So the, so the woman lets him in and they become intimate. Oh, now, Jesus. with this podcast, can I, can I speak freely? Absolutely. Okay. This is a grown-up podcast with grown-up language, so you can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she said he was very aggressive and that she thought, hey, I was going to give it to him anyway. No need to try and take it. The next thing she remembers is waking up sore, bruised, and with a baby blanket over her face. She went to the police and described what took place, and they quickly believed the man who did this was Michael Bray. One would think she could testify against him, making an incredible witness for the prosecution or prosecutors. Wrong. Her underwear had eight different semen samples from eight different men. Yes. What? Automatically, she was withdrawn from the witness pool due to her promiscuous and murky reputation, okay? Now, I saw their faces, I read the reports, and I came to the conclusion that he must have thought my mom was like the others. She wasn't, she was special, and although there were many similarities between the victims, such as the physical appearance and the environment in which he met them, I just knew that my mom was different. Flying home between writing and brainstorming, I couldn't help but wonder at what point in a sweet, tiny little baby girl's life Does she grow up with no self-esteem, no self-worth, no sense of dignity, and no expectations of how others would treat her? Was my mom's life more valuable than theirs simply because she was clean and independent and had developed values for herself and her daughters? The answer is no. There was a common denominator between them all, and that is they were women. They were human, and they were women, women, and none of them wanted to be raped, murdered, and or left for dead. So I went from thinking, oh, he thought my mom was like them, but she definitely wasn't. Well which made me think she's unique and special, right? So I thought, well, she had a name. He also left my mom with a pillowcase over her face. And at that point, I thought about was the it, women. He was did. this because he couldn't look at them? Well, we can only, we can only wonder. Yeah. And so I said, I thought about the women who he left for dead and my mom and wondered why he left something over their face. Was he too afraid to see a face looking back at him? Or, or was it just that now he couldn't control them? They're dead, but, he, but their soul lives, right? So was it a way to diminish their existence? I don't know. But in his opinion, these women held no uh, value to him or society. In his futile opinion, they were nameless and faceless, but he was wrong. She had a name and all of them did. And it was time to identify them. Whether a transient prostitute, drug addict, or single mom just wanting to enjoy a night out while her daughter was on a fishing trip, they all had a name. And so where are they now? And let's meet them. And so I want to, the thing about she had a name was, yes, a lot of this book will have that murder mystery drama that people just love. But then we need to go into looking into this. And let me ask you, do you remember that movie, The Accused with- uh, Yes, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so remember, they just knew she had no case against, I mean, she really was not gonna win that case and they had to go the alternate route. And it was only because the way she dressed, the way she talked, yep. um, and the way she was, right? And mm-hmm. I know that was in the 80s, but the truth is, I even came to that conclusion that these women must have been a certain way. And my mom was very different. And, and the truth is a lot of them, they were quite different than the way my mom was living. But, but really 
really, does one person deserve that more than the other? Absolutely. Like, of course not. The answer is no. What I want to do is I, let me back up. I have a blog and I have gotten so many emails from women, mostly that have seen the show and they find me through my website mm-hmm. who have talked about something that happened 33 years ago, something that happened right. 10 years ago. Yeah. And what they what they want is they're ready to release that and forgive. And uh, because the truth is, and when we don't forgive, it's not a cliche. If you look up the definition of forgive and forgiveness, it really is an emotion that, that you have to come to. But I think it's by making a lot of choices. And he wrote a letter to um, Detective Reinhold and she sent it to me. And it's a lot about forgiveness. Um, but here's what my question is. If he has really came to some um, a religious moment in his life, which is what he he really refers to mostly the Bible for forgiveness. Is he, is he still alive? Oh yeah, and he's in Walla Walla, I think. Okay, state prison. He's but in if the, he, yeah, yeah. But if he has, then he will tell us where these other women were. I mean, you don't just feel apologetic for this one murder. I'm, I've really been going back and forth. Do I contact him? And I've made the decision. I am going to. Oh boy, that's I know. a big can of worms, boy. Oh, it is, man. but I think that somebody has got to advocate for women, and and I guess do, do you do you have any fear about that? About contact? I did, I did, but I found myself when I operate out of fear that I just really should never operate out of fear. Yes, judgment, being clear, using a PO box, of course. Now, um, is is he is he life in prison as far as this goes? Well the years that have been given to him, he'll never come out. I mean, he'll die in prison for sure. And he's an IMO, which is, I think it's called IMO, the isolation. I mean, he doesn't have a life. I, I, well, I wanted to do this for about a year, but I was fearful. What if this, what if that? Um, but then, but then imagine if everybody, right. All the saints in the world operated out of fear. We, I mean, and all the, all the people who have paved the way for different things, not that I'm going to pave the way for anything, but you know, we hear so many um, stories. I think it's time that we talk about women. My mom met him in a bar that night, but it doesn't mean she was a bar fly. Right. Or I just think that we need to get rid of the shame element or even the circumstances related to any rape, any murder. And I, I think it's time that somebody just kind of brings some, some justice and awareness. I mean, why, why are these women still missing? And can you imagine their families not knowing yeah. where they are? I really can't imagine that. And so I think that he, he is a sociopath. He is all the bad things clearly, but if, if he has had any remorse or anything, then, then he needs to go ahead and I don't know, maybe I just am thinking that I'm above myself, but why not try to get him to communicate more truth? Okay. So another element of the book and what I'm hoping to do is help women really encourage or inspire women to realize that we can't change what's happened to us, but, but we do have a lot of choices that we can make every second of the day. And I, I think that it always starts not by feeling, Oh, I feel like getting over this, or I feel like being strong, but it's usually just by a choice. I mean, we have to make choices and it's all in our brain. And, um, I have noticed that the feedback that I get from women, it's always that, that, they realize, you know, if I could forgive a murderer and not everyone's willing to, but I'm going to talk about forgiveness quite a bit in the book and what it really means. And it's not a fluffy thing and it's not a do it for yourself. Well, people would love to get over that shit. People would love to not walk around depressed and hurt and in grief, but that takes a lot of work and choices. And 
that doesn't just, you don't wake up feeling different. Well, I think too, is that if you think about it, I mean, just look at the whole thing with uh, Christine Blasey Ford. Did I lose you again? No, I'm here. I'm listening. So if you, if you think about what happened with her and how she showed up and she was articulate, she was emotional without being disrespectful or any of that. She gave what was her best recollection of what happened. She was honest and straightforward when she couldn't remember. And then you see that she didn't yell. She didn't scream. She did. I mean, all of those things and, you know, the men in the room and that whole thing with them getting a woman to a woman attorney to ask her questions, I thought was ridiculous. But but the whole thing for me was that and then you get this man who comes in the room and he yells and he's angry and he's disrespectful to people on the panel and he gets approved to sit on the highest court in the land. And people are saying, well, you know, how can you remember that long back? And why should a man, you know, who did something like that in his teenage years still be held responsible for that behavior? Well, he was old enough and smart enough to know right from wrong. Well, the, and the point is, is when a perpetrator walks away from something, they, they will put it behind them unless it haunts them. Correct. Well, when something's done to you, and back then, you did walk away from things like that. Most women, what would be the point of complaining? If you don't have proof, forget about it. Or, or I, I must have done something to deserve. I mean, right there, there's always times yep. have changed. Yep. You know, what's interesting is um, I think a lot of people feel shame and they think, and I even did this, I rationalized my mom's death with what I was doing. And I talk about this in the book just to make myself feel better and safer is I thought, well, I wouldn't have made that decision that my mom made that then led to that. I, I, I realized that with a lot of things in life, I would try to try to find some type of blame. What could I blame for it? Um, so that then I could rationalize in my mind, I wouldn't do that. So, okay, that couldn't happen to me. And, and it was just a false sense of safety, but you know, what's really interesting. I, God, where is it? Um, oh my gosh. Oh, I watched the Ted Bundy Netflix thing. Um, more no, out of I, research. I could, you know what? I couldn't watch that. I remember too many things about that whole thing, and I just it didn't make you feel good. Well, I haven't been able to watch things either, but I did it from a research standpoint, right? Uh, and it was it was very eerie. But you know what he said? He said something really interesting, and I want to read this to you because um, we we blame ourselves and we think, what could we have done differently? Why couldn't I have seen that? How could I have not seen that coming? Okay, hold on here. And the truth is, is most of the time, if we notice something creepy, we probably wouldn't have gotten ourselves in a situation. If we, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's not that we're not aware or we're not bright. Um, let me find this, I guess. Well, and if you think about Ted Bundy, he was good looking. He was personable. He was incredibly intelligent about ways to be, be able to manipulate people. Right. Well, and he was surrounded by a culture of people that were successful and professional and yes, people knew him. Yes. Well, here's what he said. He said a person of this nature, because in that, in that documentary, the, the tapes that they played, he wouldn't talk until he talked in third person. 
So instead of saying I, it was. I heard about that. I thought that was weird. Well, disassociative behavior, I guess. Uh huh. Right. I as if he believed. Yeah, I don't know. But he says a person of that nature chooses his victims. They're young and attractive. Women are possessions. They're beings which are subservient more often than not to male. They're merchandise. And the sex only has relevance in the context of a much broader scheme of things. In other words, it's a very small um, factor. It's more about possession, control, violence. Of course we know that, right? Control. It's always about control. I mean, you know, rape is never about sex. It's about power and control. So listen to this piece. He says, people don't realize that murderers do not come out in the dark with long teeth and saliva dripping off their chin. And he's right, they don't. This guy, Michael Bray, was known as the cowboy and he sang and he was a charmer and yeah, all kinds of stuff. But uh, so the element to this book is to really start a movement in nobody ever deserves it, first of all. And if if there is anybody who's lost a sister or wife or mother, to something, I think um, it's okay to talk about them and have feelings about them. Right. If it, especially if they think there's shame involving what happened to them. Well, and you know, and that's this thing like about talking about your mom in that her daughter was out of town. She wanted to go out and have a nice drink or have a good time. She had some time to herself. Yeah. It didn't mean that she was out cruising for men or a loose woman or any of that. She went out and she met the wrong person in the wrong time. That's right. And, and I just, it's so interesting to me that I listened to a woman. Where did I listen to her? Was she was on a, I don't remember where I heard this woman and, and they were interviewing her and talking to her about, uh, the fact that she didn't believe Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, right? And that she said, you know, you you don't just, I've been, you know, physically molested and my daughter has been raped and, you know, and, and you just go on, you just figure it out. You just go on. You don't keep living in the past and you don't, you know, those things, you don't happen, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh my God, that woman's, that poor woman's daughter is dealing with a mother who really doesn't give a fuck. Exactly. Really thinks that you can just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it's okay. And you, you know, it shouldn't bother you for the rest of your life. And that shouldn't be a a problem. And I look at stuff like that. And I think about what kind of programming happens in society for, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a big part of my passion that was fueled to create this podcast for women to share their stories is, is that for too many years, for too long, women's voices have been silenced women's stories have been denigrated or stopped from being important or being published or, or whatever it is. And, and I'm not talking about the people that are famous that write a book and they get, you know, Uh I'm talking about everyday women who have stories, who have lives, who have things that they have lived that then when I reach out to them and say, I'd really love to have you as a guest on my podcast, they say, oh, I don't have an interesting story or I don't have a story. We all have a story. We all have a story. Everybody has a story. And have you heard of um, comparative suffering? Yes. You have. I know you have. You've read about it. And it's so true. And that hit me hard because I went through a long time thinking, God, if I heard someone complain about something really silly, I thought, I can't, I, I can't even hear this. But I, what I wanted to say about the women you just talked about and her daughter, the truth is, sadly, that was herself self-protecting 
because mm-hmm. if she felt it was too hard to bear, and I went through part of that. Now, not mean, but I um I have I have buried all of this, and so oh, you internalized all, it, I'm sure. Well, yeah. for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm in the military, and and I think that we just are. Well, you're right. We, we're programmed because when you said women have been silenced, we have been. Because when you complain or say something, it's viewed as she's a complainer. Oh, she here we go. She's one of them. It's- or they're gonna they're gonna believe and and especially like I mean I don't know what your experience was in the military, but if you look at the chain of command in the military mm-hmm. and women who have stepped forward to say things, it gets buried. They don't talk about it. They don't necessarily believe it's true. They again, it's that whole thing of it's that that male that masculine power structure that's there yeah and you just have to put up or shut up right i mean that that's that's all there is to it but if if you take that and expand it outward from the military that's society right it is. And, I and, think what, it is. and what you said that that ted bundy said about women are their possessions mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that it's you know all of those things i mean that is a collective societal thought process that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation till you get to the point where women start to push back and say no you know no but still we look at the fact that whenever there's some sort of a rape or something it's always what were you wearing Mm -hmm. who were you with what were you doing doing, Uh right were you drinking and and i'm sorry would they say those same things to a man no, no, they wouldn't. Well, no, of course not. Our pr- the pressure, I mean, I, I know males would discuss their own pressures and things that they deal with too and societal norms that they've been taught, but but we have a lot to bear. I mean, okay, here's another movie. Remember 9 to 5, Dolly Parton? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I know it was a movie and it was silly, but, uh, but you, here's a situation in the military. I was training to be a dental tech so that I could go to school in San Diego. I'm in the dark room where we're developing the film I mean, it's huge. And I said something about my shoulder hurting and the guy in there teaching or training me, he says, oh, here, I'll massage it. And I said, oh, no, it's I'm okay. And he kept persisting and persisting. He said, here, just lay up on the counter here and I'll. Oh, no. I swear. <laughs> I said, it got to the point where I said, I don't want a massage. Like, and you can't really see anything. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. He wouldn't take no for an answer. And he went to massage me. I said, I no. And then I thought, am I going to do? I still have training left. Well, the next day I came and I said, Hey, can I be done with the dark room? I've, I've learned everything. I didn't want to get him in trouble or tell on him. <laughs> do you know the guy says, no, you, no, you can't. Why? I mean, finally I said, listen, I'm really uncomfortable. And do you know that word went around the clinic that, um, that I was really a problem causer. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, see, that's the thing. What they do is they try and silence you, right? Yeah. Well, they I'm did silence sorry. me. That's right. They, they, they did. did, right? And and I, my um, interview last week with Erin Gilmore, and she talked about learning at a young age that she was supposed to eat the her feelings, the bad things in the room so that no one else was inconvenienced or felt uncomfortable. And she labeled it just that way that she was supposed to eat those things so that nobody else had to feel them. Now, not only that, she also developed an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. right? So you, you think about what that does to women, 
right? I'm sorry, you're not allowed to express your feelings because that's going to make someone else uncomfortable. So you have to eat the, you have to swallow those feelings down and you cannot show them or share them or talk about them that yeah. you, that's just, that's, that's a no. And then if you do, if you do say, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I, and, and the guy kept pushing you about, you know, well, why don't you want to go back in the dark room? Well, so then you had to tell them why. And then instead of him going, I, I understand we'll take care of that. You were then the problem. How old were you when that happened? Oh gosh, that was in 96. So I was 21. Well, and I grew up in a, in the military, of course, but also with a dad that not a lot hurts my feelings. I mean, I, and I, I'm not sensitive to a lot of things, but. But you I were uncomfortable enough to be able to say something about it. And with the, power with the power dynamic, the way it was, you brushed up against that. And then they made you the bad person instead yeah. of the guy in the fucking And look room. how I was trying to protect him. And so imagine. Yes. Yeah, oh but that's God. what happened. Now yeah. times are different now. I think now we're getting. Well, some, sometimes not. I, boy, I mean, I right, still not all the time. No. But now, I mean, my God, it could be any type of harassment. I just worked for some women that I wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to say fuck off to. I mean, they were, they really were kind of bullied. Um, now that was You know what? And, and my form, response would be to say fuck off. I, I know. I'm working on not reacting because I'm a very fuck off kind of girl. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. I mean, I think that I, I am thankful that I wasn't physically, truly you know, raped or yes. my God, or some things that have happened to women that in my mind, I think I, how do you get past that? That talk about a lifelong work, but, right. but there's a lot of women who have, and that's why there, we, when you said, are you afraid to do this? I, I thought about it long enough that I'm hopeful that there could be some type of revelation in it. Because if I didn't, you know, imagine if you had no control over something or you felt helpless, wouldn't you want someone to try for you to just try to just kind well, of, well, I mean, that, that's, enough? that's me. I mean, I'm the one that, that I, it's easier for me to stand up for other people most times than it is for me to stand up for myself. I, I think there's something to that. A lot to that. You know, I, I am one of those people that I, I cannot stand injustice I cannot stand by and watch people say or do things to other people deliberately or harmfully. And I'll, I mean, I'm the, the mouthy blonde route. I, I will stand up and, and actually say it. I will stand up and say, fuck you. Or I will stand up and say, oh man. So here's a little story. I was with a man for many years who was from, Worcester, Massachusetts. We went back to visit family and we were there. We'd gone out to a bar and, you know, I've lived on the West coast my entire life. And we went into this bar and there was music playing and people were dancing and there was some sort of a scuffle between two couples on the dance floor. And it broke out into a shoving match and, you know, some other stuff going on. Well, the guy of one couple went to hit the woman of the other couple and I just walked up and reached up and grabbed him by the throat and looked nice. at him in the face. And I said, stop, or I will hurt you. And I mean, the two, my, my husband and his friend who were with me were standing there going, holy shit, <laughs> she's going to do, you know, we're going to, it's going to be an all out brawl. And 
that kid looked in my eyes and he knew I was serious. And I mean, I had a, a hold of his Adam's apple and said, I will hurt you. And the next thing I know, he just dropped his arms down. He stood there and I said, you don't hit women. I don't give a fuck who you are. I don't give a fuck what mm -hmm. happened. Well, she blah, blah, blah. I said, you know what? You're old enough and smart enough to know better than that. I said, and this is bullshit. So don't do it. And I awesome. mean, I turned around and my husband and his friend, their eyes were like the size of saucers. And he's like, his friend was like, that you are a fucking badass. Well, he probably at first thought, oh shit, what has she got me into? I'm gonna have to, you know what I mean? Oh, like, oh, here oh, we go. My, my ex was like, listen, I took my keys out and had the keys in between my fingers and my, cause he used to work in nightclubs in New York City during the Studio 54 days, right? Oh, okay, so he yeah. was like, I had my keys and my knuckles. He said, I was ready for a fucking fight. And he said, you took the air out of the whole room. He said, not only did that kid react to what you said, but he said, everybody stopped and looked at what you were doing. And he said, I was scared shitless for about five seconds. And he said, and then his friend said, Jesus Christ, look at that girl go. I know. And then he probably was like, what she said. <laughs> oh, well, th but see, you know what? You stood, are you a Libra? Uh, no, Gemini. Oh, interesting. So is my husband. Because the balance and the fairness and inequality that you mentioned, I wonder. You know, it's interesting. I, um, and you know, and I'm, I'm physically, uh, I'm almost six foot tall. So, and I'm, I'm no little tiny Tinkerbell. I, yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm a powerful woman. And so it never even occurred, you know, I played softball on men's with men's on men's teams and, and in co-ed leagues and, and all, I mean, I just, that's never been something you're, you're that You're just I've not a scaredy cat. No. Well, you know, not things like that. Other, no. other things, yes, but not for something like that. But, you know, it was just, it was like, I didn't, it was an automatic response to me. But years ago, I found this book called, I think, The Big Birth, Big, Big Book of Birthdays. And it talked about, you know, you go in and look up your birthday and it would talk about the kind of the characters, blah, blah, blah. And the representation for my birthday was the benevolent queen with the lion by her side. Oh, I love that. And I, for some reason that really stuck by me in that, you know, she took care of her people. It, she was all about balancing the scales of justice, all of those things. And so, you know, but in the moment, and, and I hadn't really even had that much to drink or anything, but it was just like, I saw him go to hit that woman and I thought, bullshit, that's going to happen in front of me, dude. Yeah. You had kind of a supernatural strength. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, what the hell? I mean, I mean, hey. it, this could have gone a lot of different ways, but you I have I have two younger brothers who will tell you that I used to terrorize them every day. So <laughs> see, so you grew up in environments that if you would have chose being timid, I mean what what would that have been like? You know, like well, yeah, it's scored with brothers. No, that would have been horrible. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I just never been, you know, that's just not, you just don't that was not how I was raised. You don't hurt other people, you don't deliberately do things to someone. And I just I've always been, it's always been about the fact that I never want anyone to see me as just a woman. I want you to see me. I worked in technology for years before there was any, I mean, I started in the eighties. See, that's was, a male dominant field. It, it is. And worked and worked in that field for years and, you know, wow. and, and telling all of these men, no, you can't do that. And you know, this is the way it has to be mm -hmm. and watch them talk down to, you know, people that they felt were beneath them. And I just couldn't stand by and, and allow that to happen. 
that's why for me, it's just like, you know, I've seen that power dynamic happen over and over and over again. And there have been times when I've backed down or walked away, chose flight versus standing to fight because I just, you, there are times when you just get overwhelmed, the sensation overload of, of trying to push back or stand up or do whatever, or the fact that you think that no matter what you do or say, it isn't going to change anything. Well, that's true. And also dealing with, I'm also, I'm a fighter too. A lot of times it's fight then flight. I do the both, yeah. do both <laughs> which is, but there have been some irrational people in my life that uh, would have never respected any boundaries and, yeah. and not even respected who I am. And I think because I was, I felt so suppressed for so long growing up that now, and then being single for 10 years, realizing how, how much, how much you can do as a woman, like you can live your life. You can actually breathe without having a man. You don't have to, I mean, that, that should be a pleasure. That should be a partnership, but not because we don't love being in our own skin, our own um, space. So I had grown really independent and I, I probably would have stayed that way, but I think just just transitioning from, okay, we're a partner, but for so long, even in, in this marriage, she said, everything is so terminal with you. It's like one fight. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah? Uh, hey, hey, buddy, like you can walk. And he's like, no one's trying to walk, honey. I'm not trying to walk away. But everything for me was, I can do this myself. I am definitely going to protect myself. And for for fuck's sake, nobody's going to tell me how to live, what to do, how to breathe, how to feel and how, how to do anything. And so when I feel that coming, that's when I want to get out of it because you want to cut your losses and run. I want to cut my losses and run. I am learning. There are some people that um, I need to be vulnerable with and not self-protect, but there are some people that, gosh, if you can't respect, you got to boundaries. There's just, I get to choose my, I get to choose what happens to my body, where I sit, where I walk, what I listen. I mean, yeah, I see, all the, of that. Yes. And that's why this whole thing with the debate about abortion and all of this stuff. And it's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what you believe. You do not have the right to tell anyone what they can and cannot do with their body, period. And my response to that has always been for all of the people who are religious and they're against it for whatever their religious reasons, reasons are. It's like, okay, here's a crack baby for you. Here's a child of rape for you. Mm -hmm. Here's a baby with down syndrome for you. And you get to raise them and take care of them for the rest of their lives. Because you know what you want to say those kinds of things, then you got to put your money where your fucking mouth is. Because you don't get to tell someone what to do with their body and then walk away to your own little fancy dancy little life and do your own thing. If that's what you want to do, then you pony it up, baby, and you take on one of those kids. Okay, so you know how Brene Brown quotes, is it Roosevelt, about the being in the arena? If you're not in the arena with me, yep, right? And I always say too, like, if you're not in the car, if you're not in my car, don't tell me where to go, where to drive. You got to be in this with me. There has to be an investment. You, and that's, that's another thing about leaving all the shoulds out, telling people what they should do, what they shouldn't do. You you, we don't know. And that's abortion is a whole nother topic that if I revealed, that would be just like five other episodes with (laughs) myself because of what I've been through. 
Yeah. What I've chosen, what I've chosen in my life. Yeah. I don't want anybody to tell me that. And I just am finally opening up to the realization that, that how people perceive me is really none of my business. That's correct. And you know, that was a hard thing for, that took me 48 years to learn. And I still struggle with that sometimes, you know, it, it's still hard. But when we can self-reflect, if, if you brought some, if we're friends and, and, or any kind of relationship and you brought something to my attention, first of all, if you really love me and we have that relationship, we can communicate, but then I get to go and think about that and really find out what part of this is true. What part of it is opinion. And, and, and what part do I want to take accountability for, if any? I mean, if I really sat, if I love you, I want to sit back and evaluate that. And then I can be humble enough to say, God, you know what? I didn't want to make you feel that way. I didn't know that or, or whatever. But, but no one gets to choose to shove that down my throat or nope. no, and no one else gets to choose. If I say I disagree and um, bye, however you know, they feel about that is something they have to deal with. And you know, my thing is, is that whether it's, family, mm-hmm. whether it's friends, whether it's acquaintances, whether it's somebody that you don't even know, that somebody who wants to sit in scrutiny of your life and then place judgments, mm-hmm. make comments, to sit in self-righteous anger, try to tell you what you should and shouldn't do or how you should and shouldn't feel, mm-hmm. that that is a complete and total reflection of them and not of you. That's right. And what that says to me, what I, you know, and I used to take all that in and absorb it in and just go, oh my God, my, my inner commentary was you're a horrible person. You don't deserve to be loved. You're not worthy of, you know, being a part of this group or, or whatever it was. But when you take a step back and you look at that and you see that these people have their own shit that they either haven't dealt with or that they're trying to deflect from themselves and Uh put it on you. And so they want to sit in judgment. And it's like, you know, even people that have been brought up in the same family with the same parents, you don't have, you you do not have the same experience. And you don't 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 even have the same parent. No, you don't. (laughs) <laughs> you don't. I'm not the same parent for my five-year-old that I was for the 20-year-old. I'm yeah. very different. But you know what? The the one thing that I want to add to that, all of those traits that you just described, the other one that I find is the expectations. And it's oh, yeah. of me. Um, yeah. I, I just don't, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't well, want to be a part of it. It's such a recipe for disaster. And when it's someone that you care deeply about that you yeah. love, it makes it all the harder to be able to create space for yourself and to be able to say that you need to remove yourself from the situation or create some more space there because you just, you know, the, the inner dialogue is if I just be a better person, if I just do or say the right thing, if I just try and be the perfect wife, mother, daughter, mm-hmm. sister, grandparent, employee, friend, whatever that context is that, you know, then this person will be happy. And the reality is, is that there is nothing that you can do enough of to make that person happy or to make them want to look at you differently. And- Have you ever wondered why though, why we can almost master how to be the perfect wife, mother, employee, right? We can always almost master that. But why have we always looked at 
what would make them pleased and not once what would make us please what what would bring us joy that we are constantly and, and truly like even teaching kids you know i caught myself telling uh one of them you know use your manners because if you do want to get invited back or you know you want this i was already teaching her you will be judged now i do want her to use her manners but i think i was telling her for the wrong reasons if you want this if you want to be invited back basically if you want them to like you then do this that is wrong now i catch myself in things but then i have to go why the hell am i saying that where did that come from well that you know that comes again from those familial patterns of behavior that get passed down from one generation to the next to the next and and here's the thing i spent 48 years trying to be the perfect everything to make everyone happy and you know what it was you're never going to make anyone else happy right you're never yeah. going to make everyone happy and i was fucking miserable miserable and didn't really even know who i was anymore right okay so, right. you know and didn't even know really what i wanted anymore and that constant striving to try and be loved and accepted is is again, like the gerbil on the wheel. You're continually doing that run of, if I just run a little harder, if I just go a little farther, if I just do this yeah. a little more, then I'm gonna be loved and accepted. Because the biggest fear is that we are not accepted. We are not allowed to be in the group or you know whatever it is that we're trying to do. And then, because we're, we, we are not as, as human beings, we're not meant to be alone, right? We are meant no, to be a part of a part right. of the tribe, right? We love companionship. We do. Well, we thrive off of it. That's where our our creativity. Ha I mean, there's so many things that come out of that tribal connection. But it's so as I dive deeper and deeper into this whole thing of these stories that happen generation after generation after generation after generation that get passed down and we don't have we either haven't figured out well for one reason or another that we don't have to own those stories anymore and so we don't mm -hmm. have to live those anymore mm -hmm. or that we don't see the pattern and we just keep living within whatever that space is and we don't ever deal with that and and though you, you want to look at the fact of you want to believe that every parent has done the best that they possibly can. Right. Right. And so maybe you were not physically abused or anything like that, but there still are things that you internalized in that family unit oh. that created a space where you have this story that you've taken away with you when you, when you go out into the world. And then what happens is those familial patterns, those roles that everybody plays in that family continue. Well, so, we operate out of habit, like what we talked about in the beginning correct. of this episode. And, and, and some one person out of that family unit who chooses to no longer want to play in that role and right. tries to change it, it, it it's I read a book many years ago called The Dance of Anger. Hmm. And she likened it to the fact that you're going to change. And what's going to happen is the people around you are going to keep going, change back, change back, change back, change back. And you are going to have to be able to say, you know, I have to stand strong. I have, this is the right thing. You may have to say some things to someone that are going to be hard and, and it may create a rift that you can never repair, but it's the reality of being able to, it, it's just like the body awareness. It's the same mm -hmm. thing with the emotional awareness of being able to wake up and go, I don't have to own that story. I don't have to live that role. I don't have to accept those judgments. I don't have to have people I don't have to let people should all over me. Right. 
You know what I just thought of though, when you said owning the story, cause I was just reading about that too. What if though, like what we're learning and what we practice, what I'm beginning to learn, what you've been practicing for many years is okay. We accept it. For instance, I'm meditating and today I realized I all of a sudden start itching. I feel itchy every day. I could be my eyelid, my ear. And then I realized even when I was in the Navy and I'd be standing at attention in a battalion, I would start to itch. The minute I can't move, I start to itch. And I, I, I figured that out today. And I don't know why, but I just realized it. What if it's being aware, owning the story only so that we can, we can rewrite the ending, right? Like, okay, yes, that occurred. That is true. That was facts. That, but it doesn't stop there. That's not where I have to make my bed and lie in it. No. And the reality is, is that you don't have to let any of those stories define you, right? No. Those, those stories are the compilation of who you are. But as you bring awareness to those patterns of behavior, those habitual things that happen, those mm -hmm. roles that people have in their life, whether it be in work or in friendships or love re relationships or families, that you don't have to continue to have those. But again, as creatures of habit, all of those other players in whatever arena it is, they're going to continue to have the same patterns of behavior because that's what's known to them. That's what's comfortable. Even if we know that that pattern of behavior is not good for us, we know what to expect, right? Well, first we have to be aware and yes. we have to be humble enough, right? Yes. To go, wow, this is me or, oh gosh, that was me or I do do this, right? We have to do that before we can even do any work. Correct. Correct. To move well, out of that. One of my other interviews that I had with Jonalyn Foreman, who talks about the fact that she, you know, she's a domestic abuse survivor and she, she talks about being in a relationship and saying, you know, I can't believe that I, that I put myself in this position or that I stayed in this position. I'm a smart woman. I know better. But see the I, shame in that? Like I, she probably carried shame. I could tell someone else, you shouldn't be doing this. And yet uh -huh. I'm living that life. And she said, and you know that you're smarter than that. And I said, yeah, but if you look at it, sometimes if it's not necessarily a physical response that you're dealing with, but an emotional abuser, it's very subtle. Oh it starts God, out it very slowly. It doesn't leave any external marks. And it's a subtle shift in behavior that as you spend more time with someone, if you live with someone in the same environment and they're doing that emotional blackmail to you totally. reg regularly, that you don't even realize how badly it's gotten. And then when you do, it's either, oh my fucking God, I can't believe this, or you're so overwhelmed that you don't think that you can get out of that situation, right? It's like, right. Why, do smart, why do smart women stay in bad... It, it's so subtle. It happens. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and go, oh my God, I cannot believe this happened to me. Me of all people. I agree. But you know, um, uh, I was just going to say I was in my last marriage. I was with him for eight years and I look back and think what, the but I was a different person then. And I, I didn't have the self-esteem, but the thing is with the people who are God, the emotional abuse part, they are so manipulative that they can, they can genuinely make that person believe uh, oh, that, that they're imagining the, it. Or and that it's all your fault. That's right. I mean, the, the manipulation is powerful. Well, and then, oh my then, goodness. then you factor in the shame, right? So mm -hmm. if this is someone that you're married to, or you've been in a long-term relationship with, or you have children with, or whatever it is, there's the shame, the deep, deep 
shame of having to leave a relationship, the deep, deep shame of having to admit not only to yourself, but to other people that you stayed somewhere where you were not safe, right? That you, mm -hmm. you chose to stay for whatever reason. The deep, deep shame of failure, right? All of those things. I mean, shame is an incredible, I mean, you've read enough Brene Brown yeah. to know about shame. It is such an incredible, powerful driver of behavior. It really and, is. It, it, and, oh my gosh, it really is. And it, it's an overwhelming emotion. And it's that thing of, oh my God, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. And then, and then guilt likes to come along right along with shame and two steps right in the door too. Right? <laughs> That's right. They're twins. You know, what's funny is after I divorced my first husband, it took me a long time. But when I did, I was perfectly ready. I didn't care if I had to live in a box. I was ready. And uh, his friend was on the phone with one of my best friends and said, wow, I cannot believe, I mean, can you believe Mindy left him? And, and she said, Pete, he's cheated with eight different women. This has happened. That's happened. And you know what his response was? <laughs> you will not believe this. He said, yeah, but he would have never left her. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> You're dead serious. That was the mentality. Mindy left and they had a child together. Yeah. But that, that it's so skewed. It, it's just so backwards. And so it takes women like you who are willing to uh, have a, have a podcast that anybody could be listened to. And then you're making yourself vulnerable for lots of ridicule and lots of uh, encouragement, right? I mean, we really are saying here we are and have at it. Here and it is, baby. I'm hanging it all out there. And you know, that's right. here's my attitude. You can listen to it or not. Yep. You can That's like right. it or not. And if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. And you know yes. what? Here's the other thing. You don't have to like it. You don't have to listen to it. And you also don't have to tell me why, because I really don't care. You don't have to. That's right. It's not your business. It's not your business how they feel about you. You know, but, you're not. But it nobody, takes a woman like you. me to do this. <laughs> That's right. So you don't know anybody, any answers or explanations. I so don't. I, it takes women who have a strong mouth, a strong voice, because there's a lot of women out there that don't feel that, um, that strength. And so that's why it is important to say, Hey, I'm going to put myself out there one way or another and do it. And then really be vulnerable enough to, you know, like you said, the fear part, I have thought about a, quite a few different circumstances. What if this, and what if that, and, and most of them are very lifetime movie, ridiculous scenarios. I think that's when we have to really be authentic. And we have to yeah. spend some time in our own brain and go, what is my motive? What's my why? Why do I want to do this? Right. Well, and, and when, when the fear kicks in is what is my fear? What is the real fear at the base of this? Right. That's and, true. If, and if you're thinking about fear of something that might happen in the future, you really don't know what's going to happen in the future. Right. Not you a damn no clue. Not a clue. Nobody has a crystal ball, right? Nobody has anything. Oh yeah. I can see this is, this is exactly what's going to happen. It, it just, it's because you, we all have free choice, right? I mean, someone mm -hmm. can tell you, oh yeah, this and this and this is, this is going to happen. Well, now that seed's been planted in your head. So you might make the choices that make that happen, but maybe not. Well, and that people, people, I, I did a 36 mile bike ride on Sunday and I, I've never done that before. I borrowed a bike from someone and my husband says, honey, be careful. Remember that lady that got killed in Michigan that did the ride? I'm like, Honey, he does. I love him very much, but he is way too <laughs> operate. I mean, but imagine if I would have let that steer yeah. me away from that, I wouldn't have got to experience it. 
it's one thing being reckless, but it's another thing saying, let me really get to the bottom of this. And, decide. And, and here's the other thing. You could step off the curb tomorrow and get run over by a bus. That's it. That's it. I mean, that's it. So, so sometimes we, but we do need to take the time to really evaluate. What's my motive? What's my reason? Yep. What do I want out of this? What, and, what's, and my what am I, what's my wife? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mindy, I am so grateful that you made all of this time. We have enough for two podcast episodes, so I may have to break it up. <laughs> That's my problem. I talked. No, 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 no. That's good. I'm, I'm happy to do it. My last two interviews have been like some of the longest interviews I've done, and I just hate to cut it off. So I'll figure out how to, to, to put it all together so that we can keep people engaged. But I'm so excited to hear about your book and what you're doing and why you have chosen to do this because I, I think that it's. It's so incredible that you were able to go back and talk with the woman who worked the case and and be able to see all of this stuff that at 25, you probably, like you said, you were like, you didn't even process most of it. You, you had a really centered focus on taking care of your sister and doing the things you needed to do. And here you are at another point in time in your life of being able to look at these things. And now you're going to write a book, right? Yeah. You're writing this book that's going to come out. Are you going to self published? Do you know what you're going to do? My vision is not self-publishing. Okay. My vision is, is to really get an editor and publisher. And I have really high aspirations for this. So that's my goal for now. That's what I see happening. So, you know, just because I've heard so many people who have written books that didn't self-publish that, you know, they got rejection after rejection after rejection. And here's my, my thoughts for you is don't give up. And that is my sentiments. Exactly. Every no gets me closer to my yes. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, so. thank you so much for joining me and making the time and sharing all of this and having such a wonderful conversation with me because that's really what this is all about for me is is having a conversation about life, about our stories, about our experiences, about good, the bad, the ugly, all of that. That's what yeah. this is all about. So I'm just so grateful that you could join me today and let us peek a little bit into your thought process. Thank you, Sherry. You're amazing. I love what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs>